Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The FT. Hello and welcome to World Weekly. I'm Gideon Rachman. Today we look at Brazil. The first round of voting in the presidential elections is over and the incumbent, Dilma Rousseff, is through to the second round, where she will face Aysio Neves, who is regarded as the centre-right candidate. So what happens next, and what are the big issues facing Brazil? Joining me on the line from Sao Paulo is our bureau chief there, Joe Leahy, and here in the studio is Jonathan Wheatley, who used to be our Brazil correspondent and now helps run our Beyond Bricks blog. Jonathan, give us a sense, how important is this election for Brazil? I think it's the most important election we've had in Brazil for maybe about 20 years. I think it could deliver a real significant change of direction and a chance for Brazil to start delivering on its potential. Or it could deliver what, if you're really pessimistic, would be something that we've seen in other countries in Latin America, sort of drift leftwards that is sustained by support of the people for what they see as being a state that knows best, even if it leads them into economic decline. So, Joe, I mean, we now have a runoff. When's it taking place and how finely balanced is it? The runoff will be on October 26th, so it's about two and a half weeks away. And in the first round, which was last Sunday, we saw a surprise comeback by the centre-right candidate, Aesio, who was running third, and then he beat the upstart candidate, Marina Silva, and came second. Now, Marina Silva, as we know, is a rubber tapper, someone who grew up in the, in the Amazon. She was illiterate until the age of 16 when she taught herself to read. She's an incredibly uh, compelling character, and she now is trying to decide who she will support in the second round. So... We're expecting a decision perhaps as early as today from her about whether or not she will back ASEO Nevers in the second round against the incumbent Dilma Rousseff. And if she does that, do you think that's likely to be enough to swing the election behind ASEO Nevers? It's going to help. It's going to be a very close election, even with the support of Marina Silva, because um, the, the calculation is that ASEO needs up to 70% of Marina Silva's votes She polled 21% in the election in the first round, and ASEO needs about 70% of these votes to catch up with Dilma Rousseff, who still has a strong lead over him of about 8 percentage points. So she was in the sort of low 40s uh, after the first round, yeah? Yes, Dilma finished the first round with 42% support and ASEO with 34%. So, you know, that was a very strong comeback from him because he was expected to be much lower than that, as much as 15 percentage points less only a week out you know, before the poll, before the first uh, round. So he's come back strongly, but he still needs to catch up with Delma in the second round, and he really needs the support from Marina Silva. So, Jonathan, aside from the electoral arithmetic, for the outsider, describe what the basic issues in, the, in this election are. I mean, I said he's the centre-right candidate. Is it a classic left-right battle? Yeah, very good question. Brazil's political spectrum is extremely narrow. Uh, there's not a lot of difference between the PT, Dilma's party, and the ASEO's PSDB in strict policy terms. If they laid out the platforms, you wouldn't really see much difference. But 
we call him centre-right because they're the party that really believes in the kind of reform, pro-growth process. And it's much less clear whether the PT really believes in that. Under Lula, who is revered as a great president and had no difficulty getting Dilma elected as his successor, there was a lot of adhesion to the policies that were established before him by Fernando Enrique Cardoso, who beat inflation in the mid-90s and set things going. Lula had a private sector banking boss as his central bank chief. And this despite being a socialist. He fought the reform plan all the way in the 90s. But when he came in, I think he actually not just saw that it was good for him as president, but actually really got it. He saw the value of low inflation, saw the importance of growth, appointed a very orthodox man to the central bank. His first finance minister was very orthodox. But since then, we've seen a lot of drift. And the big issue for the next government is really execution, whether you're going to get a repeat of the Dilma government, which has drifted away from those policies, which has undermined this sort of policy tripod uh, that's underpinned growth over the past 15 years, which is in stark contrast to what you'd get with Aesio, where you'd get a return of one of the big figures of the Fernando Enrique Cardoso government, which is Arminio Fraga, who was central banker, is in line to be Aesio's finance minister. That would be a kind of crack orthodox economic team, which would struggle to get reforms through Congress. It's a very fractured Congress in Brazil, very hard to get anything done. But the stuff that you can do without going through Congress, just managing the economy, sticking to the policies, delivering what you promise, they're much, much firmer. So describing the core constituencies of the two candidates, would it be fair to say that Aécio Neves' supporters, basically big business and small business perhaps, would be behind him, the middle classes, and that Dilma Rousseff's key supporters are still the poorer constituencies more in the north of the country? Yes, I mean, that's the broad brushstroke. But if it was as simple as that, ASA wouldn't stand a chance because he'd be appealing to a, a much narrower section of the population. He seems to have got a lot of support from people who just feel that it's time for change, that they want something better, that they're not satisfied with the government that they've had. And he's the option. And I think maybe... It's, a, in a way, a bit like British politics. When it comes down to it, people vote for somebody who they feel is a safe pair of hands, and that's why Marina fell away, and Aesio is building up. Now, Joe, is it a bit of a surprise that Dilma Rousseff has such a strong chance of re-election because earlier in the year she seemed to be deeply unpopular... I was there during the World Cup and I remember she got booed roundly by the crowds at the stadiums and many people were talking down her chances of re-election. Has she made a comeback? Yes, we often uh, we often joke that in any other country she would have lost the election a long time ago. I mean, we had a technical recession in the first half of this year. As you said, she got booed you know, at every match of the World Cup and she even had to take steps to avoid being booed at the final. And she's not a particularly charismatic president either, so... There's a lot of things against her, but in Brazil, because you do have this large constituency at the low income end, people who are on um, benefits, you know, the Bolsa Familia, the social welfare program that was developed by uh, Lula and expanded by Dilma, you do have a very large constituency of people there who receive these benefits and have done better over the past 12 years and are very reluctant to lose these things. And the other thing that she's done as the incumbent, she occupies the airwaves much more than anyone else. And she's used that time to conduct a very negative campaign against Marina Silva. And now she's turning that against ASEO. And we've seen in the past couple of days accusations against ASEO and, and his party, the PSDB, that they're elitist and 
that they're against northeastern people, for example, which is where she has a lot of her support in Brazil's poor northeast. So she's waged a very clever campaign, a cynical campaign, but a very well-executed campaign. Are you saying, in a way, it's a scare campaign that she's telling the poor that they'll lose their benefits if, if the centre-right come in? It's completely, uh, completely a scare campaign. Everyone else that has been, especially Marina Silva, who comes from a background arguably even poorer than Lula, there's, there's no way that you would have seen her cancelling these benefits for the poor. For one thing, they're not even particularly expensive. Brazil spends about half a percent of GDP on this social welfare program, the Bolsa Familia, and it spends a, a lot more on other things. So I don't believe the other candidates would cancel these benefits. I think this is a, just a pure scare campaign. So, Jonathan, I mean, you get a sense of, of how the uh, Dilma Rousseff campaign is going. There was a bounce after the first round in the stock market where people saw how well Ayesio Neves had done. What does business want from this election? I think business wants a government that will go back and do what policy says it should be doing. There is this tripod that underpins the economy of a floating exchange rate, inflation targeting and gradual reductions in the public debt. Under Dilma, we've had a target for the primary budget surplus before debt repayments of 1.9% of GDP. Markets would love to see it above 2%. They say they're delivering, I think it's 0.9% or 0.8%, and most people think they're actually, even at the primary level, in deficit. There's been a lot of jiggery-pokery, a lot of manipulation of the accounts. Um, Investors, a lot of people in the market, a lot of people in business, don't trust this government to deliver what it promises to do on the fiscal side. Finally, let's just take a step back and look at the state of the country, because if we'd been having this conversation five years ago, There was enormous excitement about Brazil in the markets. Culturally, it really felt like Brazil's moment had come. The mood now seems much more cynical, both inside and outside the country, and that Brazil is in danger of kind of missing its moment. Is that too bleak a way of putting it, Joe, or is that how it feels to you? I think that's a good way of putting it. Brazil is definitely at a crossroads. Its finances, in spite of all the jiggery-pokery, as Jonathan put it, are still relatively strong. You know, the game is still Brazil to lose, if you like. It still has huge reserves. You know, it's a country with enormous talent. It has companies that are world-class. Everything's sort of there in place, but it's just been drifting in the wrong direction now for about four years, and it seems to be running out of answers. So I think this election is a very important one in terms of seeing whether or not the common man in Brazil perceives the need for a change or whether or not um, he or she, let's say, will continue with this current government the way it is. I think this is really a referendum on the status quo. Thank you very much, Joe Leahy in Sao Paulo, and thanks also to Jonathan Wheatley here in the studio in London. That's it for this week. Until next week, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. 
Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. 